Welcome to the Adoption Rewritten Podcast with your host, Jamie Weiss and Andy Stanley. Join in as we examine adoption-related books and media and discuss how adoption is portrayed versus the reality of living adopted. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I am Jamie and I have Andy here with me as well. And we are coming to you to discuss books that have been written about adoption. Uh, A lot of them are pointed towards adopted children. So they're children's books. Uh, Some are not. But today we're going to take a look at our very first book called The The Chosen Baby, which we'll get into here in just a minute. Uh, But first of all, uh, Andy, do you want to give just a, a brief overview of your story and then I'll give just a super short brief overview of mine so everyone knows where we're coming from to this discussion. Well interestingly enough this will be the first time that I have heard the story The Chosen Baby because as a late discovery adoptee I did not know that I was adopted growing up so I was not exposed to a lot of the uh early childhood adoption tropes and, and stories that are out there. So I'm looking forward to learning more about what we tell children about being adopted. Yes. And I, on the other hand, knew from a very young age that I was adopted, but Chosen Baby was the book that my parents had, I suppose, to help share uh, the adoption idea with me. However, I don't remember actually having it read to me. Hmm. So, uh, it's, it's obvious that it was, it was used in our home and I'll explain that, but it was not something that I remember reading. However, I do remember at elementary school, sneaking into the, the library and trying to find, uh, a book that was about adoption. And I, I think it was this book uh, so that I could read it because it it was a little taboo. We didn't really talk about being adopted at home. And so I believe like I had, you know, maybe seen this book in our home, but didn't feel like I could get it out and read it. And so I guess that's why I was maybe sneaking around the library trying to read it. And I I think that's what it was. It's possible it was a different book, but I remember it being blue as well. So I'm pretty sure it was the same book. So anyway, I have a very, uh, interesting history with this with this book uh the chosen baby and um yeah just to let everyone kind of know how this came about today i have been collecting some of the children's books on adoption over the last i don't know months or or year i have seen a lot of adoptive parents that have asked those of us who are adoptees what we will think about a book or what books we might suggest for them as they're talking to their children about adoption. So I I had, I had the idea of, you know, reading through them. So I would know which ones had, you know, narratives that are okay or not okay. And thought through some different ideas of maybe blogging about the different books or, or doing a video or some kind of recording about, about the books. And then on, on D we were talking about, that as well, that you brought up that idea. So it seemed like a good idea for us to just get together and do it. Yeah. And and part of it for me too, was, you know, learning that you were being asked 
to recommend books and realizing that I buy I buy books for my grandchildren all the time and they're asking me questions about, you know, why wasn't I told about being adopted and why did my mom gave me, give me away and, and trying to find books that could explain adoption to them because it impacts them as well and not really finding anything that didn't make me cringe. So I, I think it's an important topic. Is. That's a very important point as well, because I don't want to read books to my children that promote harmful narratives. I don't want these harmful narratives being read to children at all. Uh, that it kind of just begins this like indoctrination as a, as a child with the whole, uh, you know, adoption is, is beautiful and magical um, fairy tale. When you start reading that as a child and then you just continue to believe that. And it many times we're talking about teen moms who end up being the, the mothers who are vulnerable to choosing adoption. So you're coming out of childhood and into these teen years and having teens who then are becoming moms believing this narrative. And it's, it's almost as if they have already been, you know, brainwashed or coerced into thinking this is the best path. Yeah, that's a good point. I think we've almost primed people to think that, well, you know, if I get pregnant, I can always just give my child up because it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I've heard young women who've actually described it as I'm giving this couple a gift. Yeah. And I, and, and thinking how deeply entrenched this young woman is in the mythology, you know, and certainly she's not being discouraged from feeling that way by the people who want her to give up her child. So I think that's a good point. I think all along the timeline, we're, we're encouraging a very unhealthy narrative that needs to be examined. Well, with that, let's, let's jump into our book. So, so as I mentioned before, The Chosen Baby was a book that that I had as a child that was, was there in my family. However, I don't remember it being read to me. The pages don't appear to be very read either. They're, they're in pretty good condition. So, uh, I have been, you know, on this, this journey for probably about the last five years of just sort of deconstructing my thoughts about adoption. And, and that has all come with my age, with my having my own children, with being in reunion with my first family and uh, learning more about the adoption industry. So just all of those things. And I remember this book, but for some reason, I had no idea that it was in my closet, like at my house. I don't even know how it ended up in my closet at my house, to be honest with you. So one day I came across it uh, probably in the last year, I believe it was, and, and realized I had my own book. And I had totally not realized either that in this book, my mom had actually gone through and she had marked on every single page, the names of the, the characters in the book, they've been marked out and replaced with the names of my parents, my adoptive parents and me, as you go through the book on every single page, it's marked out 
And my mom really, really, really inserted our selves into this book. Um, and, and it does to some degree follow along a lot with, with how my adoption took place. So I'm going to start reading this to you in just a moment, but first of all, I'll tell you a little bit about it. So let me show you this, this cover too. So the cover I'm showing you, it's this, this light green linen, uh, has the chosen baby written on it. It's by Valentina P. Watson. And in, in looking her up, let's see, she originally published this in 1939. And then it was revamped and republished in 1950. This is a 1950 copy that I have. And then the uh, copy that I personally had myself was a 1977 edition. And I was born in 1979. So Valentina uh, Wasson, she was from Moscow. And I bet you will not be surprised to learn that she was an adoptive parent. We find that to be true with a lot of the books that are written for children about adoption. They, they tend to be written by adoptive parents. She was also a pediatrician and a researcher of psychoactive mushrooms. So oh. very, very interesting person to write this book. Um, yeah. So with that being said, I'm going to read it, read some of this. Once upon a time in a large city, there lived Mr. and Mrs. Brown. They had been married for many years. They had been as happy as could be and were still young. And only one thing was wrong. They had no babies of their own although they always longed for a baby to share their home. One day, Mr. and Mrs. Brown said to each other, let us adopt a baby and bring him up as our very own. So the next day they called up the lady who helps people to adopt babies and babies to adopt parents and said to her, Mrs. White, we wish so much to find a baby who would like to have a mother and father who could be our very own. Will you help us find one? Mrs. White said, it will not be easy. Many, many people wish to adopt babies and you may have to wait a long time, but come and see me and let's talk it over. So Mr. and Mrs. Brown went to see Mrs. White and told her how much they wanted to adopt a baby. Mrs. White asked them whether they wanted a baby boy or a baby girl. Mr. and Mrs. Brown answered, it really does not matter but we think we should like our first chosen baby to be a boy. But if you find a baby girl for us, we shall be just as happy. And Mrs. White asked them many questions and said, I will do my best to find just the right baby for you. But remember, you may have to wait a long time. Okay, so <laughs> have we already hit a few nerves? <laughs> like, okay, so I'm so glad that when I was born, I was looking to be adopted. I'm so, I'm so glad I was looking for some people to choose to be my parents. Um, looking to adopt some parents, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a little odd. I'm also fascinated by the, the choice of names for the parents and the lady who helps adopt the browns and the whites doesn't it usually happen the other way around it's white people looking to adopt brown children <laughs> sorry uh, that they are all in the uh, according to the illustrations anyway they are all white people <laughs> or okay none of yes. them none of them are appear to be of another race uh, i'm 
that okay that's what about what about um so when it first starts out they um they've been married and everything is great but one thing was wrong yeah I know I noticed that I'm like they're happy in every way except they need a baby need a baby yep gotta have a baby and they don't mind if it's a girl but they would really prefer if the first one they choose is is a boy seems to indicate they're adopting for infertility purposes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that was that was the case uh, for my parents so that makes sense and then they they go, they're going to adopt. They called up and um, don't care if it's a boy or a girl, but they think they want a boy. And she asked them questions. Oh, and our first chosen baby, you know, so this, this chosen baby is repeated throughout the story. Uh, so we can go ahead and address the chosen baby narrative. Oh, sure. Go yeah. ahead. Did your parents walk into the nursery and pick you out of the 50 babies that were there for them to choose? Oh, no, no. No, they were denied uh, being adopted parents in the United States. They had to go to another country to be able to adopt me, which raises some questions all by itself. And then that whole idea, maybe because I am late discovery, but when my adoptive mom first said to me, but we chose you, I immediately said, and I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this show, Am I allowed to swear, Jamie? I said, that's bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's just absolute bullshit. You, unless you went into the orphanage and lined up all the kids, like you see on Oliver Twist or something or Annie and went, we'll take that one. They took the first baby that they were told they could take home. Right. And when they talk about how long, you know, it may take a long time. Well, by the time you are chosen to be adoptive parents, most of them are not super picky. I I do think in the social workers notes in my adoption files, they do talk about how disappointing my looks were. And And I've heard this from more than one adoptee that this is in their notes. And I do wonder if, because we were still in that period where I was technically a foster child. If the concern on the part of the social worker was that my adoptive parents would decide this one's not turning out the way we want her to. So we're going to try again with a different one, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on the whole chosen? Oh boy. Well, so I don't, I don't know what necessarily put the idea in my head if it was a combination of hearing the chosen baby story before I even remember it if it was it was tv programs I don't know but I totally totally thought my parents must have walked in to a room of you know bassinets or isolates or something with all of these babies and you know I was the lucky one. I got chosen. They thought I was the best of the bunch, right? Um, totally. I totally bought that whole idea. Um, I didn't necessarily know that was the case. And I knew I it might not have been that way. But that was when I was younger was totally what I what I had in my mind. Um, it yeah. was not. It was not the way it happened at all. I definitely was not chosen. My parents wanted a baby and like pretty much 
all adoptees. There's probably, there's, there's a few that aren't this way, but our parents take the next available child, you know, they get a call after they've been waiting for a long time and they, they want a baby where there's a boy or it's a girl. They usually don't care too much. They just want to take a baby. Yeah. I think, I think that's the case. I, maybe with so many people country shopping for where the easiest and cheapest kids are to go adopt, you know, maybe that in those situations, they're still looking over the available kids and going that I want that one. There are, and, and I guess I'll say, I'm thinking of this more in, in terms of babies mm-hmm. uh, too, because when you get into older adoption, so foster care um, or from in earlier days, orphanages or things of that nature, there were functions where parents could literally choose a child. I know there were some orphanages would have festivals and parties and and things that they would invite potential adoptive parents to come and view the orphans and, and mingle with them and see which one they might like to take home essentially. And then, uh, you know, in our modern day foster care, uh, and, and even like international adoptions with orphanages and things, there's there's websites with pictures of children to choose, or they can literally go to in, in other countries, like go into the orphanage and yeah. see children. So, so there, I mean, there there is. When I said all adoptions, I, I should I should say I tend to be talking from the infant standpoint, you know. Yeah, well, because there are so many people who want infants like the the majority of adoptive parents are not looking to adopt older children their preference would be an infant if that weren't true there wouldn't be 40 to 60 prospective couples for every available infant you know it's not like babies are thick on the ground and people are just scooping them up yeah it's very different there, there actually wouldn't be as many international adoptions either no, that, that didn't start happening until the uh, supply of white babies dwindled because that's still the, the main market or white adoptive parents. Um, yeah. So, yeah. okay, we'll continue. So after a little while, Mrs. White came to visit Mr. and Mrs. Brown. She was very particular She asked more questions and went all over their home. She seemed specially interested in knowing where the chosen baby would sleep and play. She found that Mr. and Mrs. Brown had a clean and lovely home. Many more months went by and Mr. and Mrs. Brown kept saying to each other, I wonder when our baby will be coming. And Mrs. Brown would call up Mrs. White and say, we are still waiting for our baby. Please don't forget about us. And she would be told to be patient because their baby would be coming someday. Several weeks later, Mrs. White called to visit Mr. and Mrs. Brown again. It was a happy time. Mr. and Mrs. Brown kept saying to themselves, surely this means our baby is coming soon. They told Mrs. White that if the chosen baby turned out to be a boy, they would call his name Peter. But if it were a girl, her name would be Mary. One day, suddenly the telephone bell rang and it was Mrs. White. And she said, I have good news for you. We have a baby boy for you to see. Can you come tomorrow? 
So the very next morning, Mr. and Mrs. Brown hurried to Mrs. White's office. First, Mrs. White told them all about the baby boy. And then she said, now go into the next room and see the baby. If you find that he is not just the right baby for you, tell me so. And we shall try and find another. Okay, so first there's the whole idea of our baby, our baby, their baby, like there's some sort of predestination happening here that is so dismissive of the fact that the baby doesn't just poof magically into existence (laughs) because they're hoping for, and this is, yes, it may be for for a production of babies and models can be available right oh I know it's like we're just waiting for them to you know finish the paint job on the baby (laughs) (laughs) it's so I I find that whole mindset problematic because it's like the and then the fact that they choose the child's name without any respect for the fact that this child comes from somewhere and someone and may already have a name. They have, they have, they haven't even asked that. They just decided this is what they're going to name it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This part kind of triggers me a little bit. If if you find that he is not just the right baby for you, tell me so, and we shall try and find another. Uh, looking when I when I got some paperwork from my mom from my adoption, one of the things was a letter that the lawyer had sent to them, and it discussed how essentially if I was born and then there was issues with me, I wasn't, I wasn't healthy, then they were off the hook. Like they could reject me essentially. They could say product's not good enough. Right. Yeah. You're you're a lemon baby. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always found that a little cringy in the paperwork and just the idea of that bothers me, uh, especially I have two children they actually both have an inherited genetic disease. Uh, one of them also has a, a, another genetic disease that was not inherited. So completely unexpected. But it's like when when we have our children, we, we, we birth them, we take them however they are, and we're more than happy to. But in the world of adoption, it's, well, it's got to, this baby has got to meet our standards. You know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't meet our needs, if it doesn't meet our standards, then no, we'll just find another. Which goes to the whole, you weren't really chosen then if uh, you're just the next available baby. Like they'll take any baby. It wasn't, we want you, right? So. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's problematic. Like you said, when you have a child, you don't know if you're getting a boy or a girl. Well, these days they can tell you, but still, it's not like you make that happen. You have what you have. And yes, if your child has health issues, you manage them, you do the best that you can. But with adopted children, there's this idea that, well, if there's something wrong with this child and it's too much for me, I'll, I won't keep the child or I'll, God help me, rehome the child, find a more appropriate forever home for them. And yeah, that's, it's a problem. And you know, is this your child or not your child? And if it is your child, then shouldn't you be taking care of your child? Agreed. Well, and it, and it plays into what, you know, we're talking about 
if you choose to be a parent, you know, if you're adopting, you're going to an extra length to be a parent. This is something that you supposedly have given a great deal of thought to. You need to be prepared to be a parent. To any child. Yeah. And not when it's convenient for you or when it makes sense to you. And also because that can, that can change at any time. I mean, you can have a child that's born completely healthy and they could have an accident and be three years old, be eight years old, 15 years old, I mean, whatever, and be permanently disabled, you know, or um, have trauma from that. I mean, whatever it might be that you're going to need to deal with. You don't get rid of your kids because they have issues. You're, you're a parent. That's your job is to deal with these issues. That's literally what you're there to help them with. You're, you're to be a guidance and, and a loving figure in their life. So yeah, that, that really, that part really bothers me, not only in the book, but knowing how that actually did play out. Like I said, this book very much mirrors uh, my adoption experience, I guess. So, okay. This one is going to be interesting. I'm going to read this page to you from the 1950s, and then we're going to jump back to what the text said, actually, from the 1939 book. Okay. Okay. All right. So, and there in the next room, asleep in a crib, lay a rosy, fat baby boy. He opened his big brown eyes and smiled. Mrs. Brown picked him up and sat him on her lap and said, this is our chosen baby. We don't need to look any further. We will have everything ready for him by tomorrow and we'll take him home then. Mr. Brown felt the same way and they were both happy that tomorrow they would have their very own baby boy. The baby was laughing and kicking and legs, kicking his legs and wiggling all his toes. Okay, so that's from the 1950s version. But if you go back to the 1939 version, what it actually said that suddenly one day the lady at the home called up and said, we have three fine babies for you to choose from. Will you both come and see them? So the very next day, the man and his wife, feeling very excited, hurried to the home. The lady told them all about the babies. The first baby was a little boy with blue eyes and curly blonde hair. He laughed and played with a rattle. The man and his wife watched the baby. Then they shook their heads and said, this is a beautiful child, but we know it is not our baby. And they were taken to see the next. And there, asleep in the crib, lay a lovely, rosy, fat baby boy. He opened his big brown eyes and smiled. And it continues with what we just read. So then that's, they say this is their chosen baby and they don't have to look any further. Okay. So in 1939, they are ushered into a room with three babies to choose from. And they look at one and say, nah, nope, not him. <laughs> Move on to the next one. So I wonder, like, is the supply dwindling as time goes by? And so we have to change it from you're actually going to have options? Or is this more about this brown-eyed baby more closely reflected their own looks? So they felt more of an affinity? I think that actually some people may have taken offense to that a little bit 
Yeah. Um, so, so in the, in the foreword of this book, it says that uh, since its original publication in 1939, the chosen baby has become practically a classic in the child adoption field. However, the changes of over a decade, ranging from fashions and dress to methods of childcare, have led the author and illustrator to prepare a new edition of the book. As rewritten, The Chosen Baby is as charming and helpful a children's story as when it first appeared. The author told the story to her own adopted son, Peter, when he was four years old. It became at once his favorite story, with the thought that other children would also like it since it is the story of every adopted child. Dr. Watson wrote this book for parents to read to their children because it was written out of the immediate experience with children who are still under five. So it does talk about there's been some changes. In fact, yeah, fashions and things, which is why they did different illustrations. But I think some of those those changes in that decade also informed them to change that portion. Now, in the in the forward of the 1977 version, it talks about I won't read through all of it, but. it says that the story is as charming and delightful as when first told to the author's own son so many years ago. Relieved of the concept of chosen beyond its winsome title, the book gives an accurate account of what happens when a baby is adopted. So in the 1977 version, you know how each time they say, we'd like our chosen baby to be blah, 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 or, or, we know this is our chosen baby mm-hmm. that has been removed in the 1977 version to where they now just say baby. So they removed that part. So from the 39 to 50, they removed the actual choosing part. <laughs> and then from 50 to 77, they removed the chosen baby within the text. So it's still called the chosen baby, but they've removed the chosen part from the story. Interesting. Well, we know that as time goes by, there are fewer infants available for adoption. Mm -hmm. So whether they're coming right out and saying it or not, the idea that the person is chosen, huh? that's interesting. I really do think when I hear adoptees say, well, I was chosen, I'm special. I think, you know, your, your parents chose to adopt because they couldn't have kids of their own, or they chose to adopt so that they could show everybody what wonderful people they are. Right. And choosing to adopt is different than choosing the person. Yeah. Than like walking in and picking out the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's the idea that if they chose you, they can unchoose you is true mm-hmm. yeah so basically I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump out a little bit a little bit here they you know they take the baby home grandparents come visit family and all that good stuff they're happy yada 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 and then I'm looking at uh, my 1977 version that belonged to me uh, at the end it talks about being happy playing hide and seek the grandfather and grandmother lived nearby. They always gave him milk and cookies and said, uh, you're a fine young man. 
to uh, to Peter Brown. And then that was the end. It was like kind of really odd, but somehow one day I finally noticed and had not noticed before. There's a whole bunch of pages that have been torn out of the back oh. of mine. This, this was mine. No wonder you wanted another copy. Yeah. So I had to figure out, this is when I ended up with these other copies because the day that I realized that all these pages were torn out of the back, I started contacting several friends who I know we had, we had talked about this book and how they had had the book. I'm like, do you have your copy? Can you look this up for me? Can you see like, what comes after this? Why, why is this ripped out? Which is, which is so, oh my gosh, just another picture of, of my adoption story. So, you know, the final pages weren't ripped out of my adoption story, but the beginning pages were right. So I grew up, I had no idea about anything that happened before I was adopted. So all of that was missing. And so then here, this is like the same thing. Where's this rest of the story, right? It's all missing. And I I just couldn't, I couldn't get it fast enough. Come on, somebody tell me what's here because it was so curious to me that that would be gone. Yeah. And on that note, I'll say that the book does not ever speak to anything again before the adoption took place. So it does not acknowledge that the baby has, you know, first family or any of that. And that was, again, very much a picture of the adoption that I grew up in. My first family was, was not acknowledged. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) yes. So I ended up getting another copy so I could see what happened. And so after, uh, they decide that they're going to adopt again. So one day James and Martha and Peter, Oh, if you'll notice, they were always Mr. And Mrs. Brown in the 1950s. So they didn't have first names. So Peter and Mary had names, but, uh, but James and Martha did not have names and Mrs. White also, i Let's see. She she also had a first name in here, so they all they all got first names. <laughs> okay. When we, when we get to uh, Karen White, Miss Karen White. So by the time we get to seventy seven, they all get first names. Um. Anyway, so one day James and Martha and Peter were out taking a walk when a little girl came running by with a kite. Peter wanted to run and play with her. She was a pretty little girl with red hair and freckles. That night, when Peter was in bed asleep, James and Martha said to each other. Peter liked that little girl we saw today. We should adopt the baby sister. And then she and Peter can play together. And the story does go slightly different of how they were at the park or something in the 1950 version. It was slightly different, but it's the same, same idea. So the next day they called up Mrs. White and said, we want to find a baby sister for Peter. And Mrs. White said, we will gladly try to find a sister for Peter. Peter was so excited about getting a baby sister that he could hardly wait for the big day. Uh, He was now big enough to sleep in a real bed, and he told his mother he would give his crib to his sister. Almost a year went by, and the Browns were becoming impatient. Mrs. White kept telling them, I hope you won't have to wait much longer, but more and more people want to adopt babies. At last, Mrs. White called one day and said, I have a baby girl here for you, who I think will be a good sister for Pete or for Peter. Can you come to see her tomorrow? So James and Martha Brown went to Mrs. White's office the next day and found waiting for them a bouncing baby girl with soft brown eyes and a happy smile. 
Right away, they said, we love this baby already. The baby grabbed hold of one of Mrs. Brown's fingers and held it tight in her fist. The Browns told Mrs. White they would be back the next day with Peter. They wanted him to see her too. Uh, when, Peter, when Peter saw the baby, he thought she was the best baby he had ever seen. He wanted her for his sister. So he and his mother and father took the baby home. Okay, and that's not where it ends, but it, that's essential. They just go on to be a you know, happy family with Mary and Peter. So what do you think about that? I don't know. There's, a, there's several things. Like first, there's no, you know, they present this as an accurate depiction of how adoption takes place. I don't hear any conversation in there about how much it costs or, and, you know, I guess that's not considered appropriate for a child, but I can guarantee you that at some point your grown up adoptee is going to go, wait a minute, because <laughs> somebody is going to mention that there's a lot of money in adoption. Mm -hmm. The other issue I have is that is of siblings. I, I don't know what your experience has been, but my adoptive parents, my, their daughter is eight years older than me. So she was super excited about having a little sister until I actually got home. And she realized that, oh, I have to share attention with this person. And she's a baby. She's a pain in the butt. I don't want to, you know, I was not fun to play with. I was annoying. And then they adopted again because they wanted a boy and they had two girls already. And then my adoptive mom found out she was pregnant and had another child. And my, their son never liked me or our brother that was adopted. We didn't get along at all. To this day, we do not get along with one another. And my adopted brother that I did get along with, he died when we were kids. So there's no like close sibling relationship. I don't speak to either one of my adoptive siblings just because you adopt two children and bring them into a household and call them yours does not mean that they are going to get along with each other or like each other or have anything in common with one another or with their adoptive parents. Just because you want it to be a certain way, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. It, does, it also doesn't mean extended family members will love and accept them. Yeah, I could never figure out growing up why my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, didn't seem to like me or one of my little brothers, but was totally okay with the other two kids. It didn't make sense until I found out I was adopted. And then the differences suddenly made sense. Yeah, a lot of things make sense when you are older and able to view it from a different perspective and process all of that. Yeah, so for you... Why do you think your adopted parents tear those pages out? Well, because I didn't have a sibling. They never adopted any other. So that was where the story ended to, or that was where the story ceased to mirror our family. 
So did you ask them about that? Like, were they afraid that they would hurt your feelings because you didn't have a sibling or? Yeah, I haven't asked. <laughs> okay. Cause I'm just waiting for them to be like, but you were so perfect. We didn't want anybody else, Jamie. I think it was really their age that had to do with why I didn't have any other siblings, but, but yeah. So the, the, the chosen baby book very much was a, a picture of the adoption that I grew up in, but it ceased to follow our, our story when they decided to have siblings. And I, th- I think it's very problematic to adopt so that your child just so the child will have a sibling or so they'll have a playmate. I, I find that very problematic. Well, and I think I understand when parents have their own children, and I know some people listening to this may get really upset that I'm talking about there being a difference between your own children and your adopted children. But let's face it, there is a difference. And you may tell yourself that you don't treat them any differently. But when you don't see your features and your characteristics and your temperament and your talents reflected in the child that you're raising, that child is a mystery to you. And as hard as you may try and as good as as your intentions may be, you're not going to mesh with that child the way that you do with the child you give birth to. It's just not biologically possible. You know, there's a reason why babies are born looking like their fathers. It's so evolutionary, you know, that the fathers will want to protect that child and raise that child. It's it's built into us to have an affinity for our own offspring. And so I understand when parents decide to have more than one child and they want to try and have those kids at intervals so that the children are close to one another and they see that happening in other families or maybe it's happened in their own family. Maybe they do have a couple of their own children before they decide to adopt expecting that to happen with children who are not only not related to you, but they're not related to each other either. You're just compounding the difficulties. You're not guaranteeing that there's going to be some sort of familial happy ever, happily ever after. So what do you see as some of the really harmful Um, tropes in that book that would cause you to say to an an adoptive parent now, don't buy this book. Well, a a lot of it. I, I, this is not a book I would recommend. Um, I will say that the, the only thing that I find they get right in this book, uh, although it might, it may be a, a correct depiction of say like how my adoption went that doesn't mean that that this is how it should go Mm -hmm. right the only thing I I think they get right in this book is in the foreword and on the very last page so to end the book they actually say Mary grew fast and is now a little a lively little girl who runs about and plays games Peter and Mary like to hear the story of how they were adopted James and Martha and Peter and Mary Brown are a very happy family so right there Peter and Mary like to hear the story of how they were adopted. 
that's the only thing I think they get right in this book is that they have told the children they're adopted. And it sounds like when it says they like to hear it, it sounds like they are telling that over and over, you know, that this is an con- ongoing conversation that they're having with their children about being adopted. That That's what it implies to me. So that's the only part that I think that they really get right. Now, they probably, as with the whole book, have in that story have, may have completely written the first family out of the story. So uh, it doesn't say, but I would guess that was probably the case given the, the, the time that the book is from. That needs to be a part of the story, of course, but at least they told them they're adopted, right? <laughs> Which is not yeah. the privilege that you had. Yeah, they've got that part. That's, mm-hmm. that's a good part. I, I think it's really interesting too, when you think about the fact that children will say, or people will say that they liked hearing the story of how they were adopted. It's an acknowledgement, whether people want to realize it or not, that the children feel different. They don't understand how they came to be in this family because it's not normal. It's not just another way to build a family. It's the displacement of a person from their place in life. You're trying to make sense of where you fit in in the world because you do recognize that this is something different. And everybody has this like, well, so many people have this life gap at the beginning of their life where you've spent anywhere from days to years in another environment before you are placed with your adoptive family. And so you're not only missing your family of origin, but you also don't know who took care of you in the interim and how that worked. And now there's this movement to have adoptive parents in the hospital room when, you know, when the woman gives birth and there's this mistaken idea, I think that that means that the baby will never, you know, the person will never feel like they were different because they went instantly from their mother to these other people. And that again, is this denial of biology. It's a, it's just a denial of genetic reality. It, it may lessen to some degree the trauma, but it's really just a lessening of degrees. It's not, it's not an erasure of trauma. The other thing that, that I will say that I thought they got right, and I think this is a very, a very important point to bring up, not only with us beginning the series of looking at different books, but for, for this one in, in particular, it, and it says about this book, it is meant for very young children and is best used as a background against which adoptive parents may spell out the specifics relating to their own child's adoption. It is recommended as a most agreeable way to begin the continuing process of telling a child about adoption. Um, I think there's some important points there of that. You can't just take a book about adoption and read it to your child and think that that suffices for telling them their story. This can be a way of introducing the concept of adoption to them 
so that you can discuss their their own personal story with them. But you should not be leaving a fantasy story or some other child's story with them as their own. And and that it should be a continuing conversation where it begins uh, extremely young. I mean, really from day one and continues on throughout their, their life. But, you know, by the time they have reached puberty, they should know the details of their story, like, like all of the details of their story so that they can use that in, in forming, you know, their identity and, and figuring out who they are in, in this world. So I appreciated the fact that that was in the forward, that it does say it is for very young children. So um, it's, it's not meant to explain everything and uh, it should just be used as a tool to, to have a conversation. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with a friend or leave us a rating to help others find us. Do you have a book or other media you would like for us to discuss? Drop us a note to adoptionrewritten at gmail.com. We can't wait to share more with you in the coming episodes. See you soon.